I'm Charlotte. I'm a therapist based in little old New Zealand. Life is too short to walk around feeling crap, so come and join me as we explore how to feel better. Whether feeling better for you is about managing anxiety, improving your relationships, lifting your mood, or working out who you are in this world, this is the place where I hope you will find some strategies and insights that will help you feel better. Thanks for joining me. Well, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again. It is uh, just such a delight that people want to listen to me rabbit on about certain things. Uh, and I have to say that I've really surprised myself with uh, when a question has come in, I've been able to kind of jot down some responses and realize that I've got lots to say about certain topics. Um, I know that if I was to script what I said, if I was to overthink it and uh, come up with lots and lots of material in advance, this podcast would never get off the ground. And how I know that is because I actually tried that. <laughs> I recorded a bunch of episodes, highly researched and scripted and trying to kind of have them all perfect. And um, I've got six episodes that have sat for over a year now. And I'm not even sure that they'll see the light of day because I think they sound a bit naff. But anyway, I am a recovering perfectionist and uh, I will own that one. So this format of people sending in questions and then me being able to give some advice and just kind of pull together uh, what I already know, my perspectives on this is just um, a really winning formula and lots of you have been listening. So I'm just delighted about that. Thank you very much for having me back with you. So in today's episode, I've been asked two questions and they're really juicy. And we actually, when I shared the question, someone joined a question on to the other question. So uh, here we go, talking about two quite different topics today, but I hope that there will be some value for you as you listen to these. I think I'm realizing as well that along the way in my responses, I probably weave in a lot of other content that's quite relevant to other situations. So I encourage you to listen along, even though if at first you think, hmm, I'm not sure if those topics particularly apply to me. The first question is about understanding recurrent depression and why it happens. This is an incredibly frustrating situation if people have experienced an episode of depression before and if they find themselves uh, continuing to have episodes or bouts of depression. It can also be really worrying because for a lot of people there's a constant sense of fear about when am I going to become unwell again, which is just really hard. And I think uh, is you know, really important to acknowledge that that is quite challenging to live with. I think that there are a few perspectives, though, that I would add around perhaps the causes and the management and response to depression that is recurrent in nature. And so one thing that I would be thinking about if you're a person who continues to experience depression is thinking about the formulation of what is going on and how this experience is understood. And so I'm, I guess, talking in quite sort of clinical terms there, but thinking about what has been diagnosed for you around what's going on. Uh, what is it that is being understood about what is happening for you? Because sometimes if depression is happening and happening again and happening again, there is something else to be understood. And I really believe when it comes to recurrent depression that having a psychiatrist review and particularly that kind of specialist review if there is medication uh, involved in the kind of recovery picture for a person, I think it's really important. 
I'll just tell you a couple of stories. One client I had um, had experienced depression, uh, you know, in bouts that sort of came around every six to 12 months and they were quite disabling um, for this person. We, they'd experienced that for sort of over 20 years and one of the first things that I suggested was, you know, how, how long ago was it that you were reviewed by a psychiatrist and they'd essentially just been being managed by their GP and had therapy over the years, which is great. They're great things to do. But uh, the perspective of a specialist is really valuable. They went uh, to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist said, actually, I think there's a mood disorder component to what is happening here. That essentially, instead of thinking about you being uh, normal in a normal mood state and then depressed and then going back up to normal and being depressed again, that there was a bit more of a, a pattern of being depressed and then being elevated and that was a really crucial um, point to mark with this person because it completely changed how their um, experience of depression was being uh, responded to. So they added into the mix of the medications they took a mood stabilizer. And then the other thing that became just as important as managing depression when those symptoms first hit was actually managing elevation, how to talk yourself down and manage overexcitement or this person didn't experience mania as in a, a kind of classic bipolar disorder, but uh, they got too elevated and then that was then part of what was leading to the crash, couldn't sleep, all of those sorts of things. So for that person, uh, being reviewed by a specialist clinician was incredibly important. So that's just a little story to tuck away. I think if you're someone who experiences depression in a chronic uh, recurring manner, then investing where you can in a psychiatrist to review you, either sitting on a public waiting list uh, or looking at doing that privately is well worth finding a way to make that happen. I know that that is a real challenge in terms of resourcing that, but certainly something that is worth considering and trying to find a way to achieve that. One of the other things I think when people have sort of a relationship with their uh, experience of ill mental health is thinking about lifestyle factors and making friends with the relationship that you have with this depression. I'm a big believer, I come from a narrative therapy background and I'm a really big believer in the power of our language when it comes to how we think about what it is that we're experiencing. So when it comes to things like depression, um, it's also, you know, really important when it comes to things like anger and anxiety and a whole lot of other emotions, externalizing is really powerful. So that's the idea that you're not a depressed person, you're not depressed, you are experiencing depression. The depression is outside of you, is affecting you as a person, but you're more than this. You have a body, you have a spirit. Um, you have a heart and this, what is happening in you is, um, is actually an external thing that's impacting you rather than being a part of your identity and I'm depressed and I'm a depressed person um, is definitely something you want to shake in kind of how you're thinking about what's happening. But making friends with the reality that this is something I have to manage, that this is something I have to work around, and actually instead of resenting that, seeing the opportunities in that, that actually one of the things that depression creates is an, a need to focus on how I look after myself, and that there are some beautiful things that I'll discover in that. 
that depression um, puts some limits on me that actually allow me to experience things in a deep and rich way that it enhances my life, even if even though it feels hard to commit to those things. So trying to find what are the opportunities in having this relationship with mental ill health in the form of depression. Um, thinking as well about lifestyle factors and you know, often if I'm working with someone and they're having another bout of depression, uh, the lifestyle things have fallen off the, they've fallen off track with those things. So the gentle exercise, they're making sure they have enough sleep, making sure they have the social time they need, working on reducing stress, all of those lifestyle factors that we know contribute. Uh, also not overusing things like caffeine and alcohol are really, really important uh, things to keep in the mix of what you're considering. And uh, often, sadly, I'm not saying that this is the individual's fault that this is what happens, but sometimes one of the realities is that the lifestyle looking after yourself has changed and that that has contributed in some way to uh, then what unravels into a fuller mode of being depressed. One thing I really encourage people if they have got any kind of recurring mental health challenge is to think about what's called a RAP, W-R-A-P, it's a good old acronym, we like these in the mental health world, but a RAP is, uh, it stands for Wellness Recovery Action Plan, and years ago when I was working in a uh, mental health service working with people who were quite unwell, this was something that emerged out of the peer support movement, so the movement of people who were involved in working on mental health, where they, they themselves had their own experience of mental ill health. And this plan is about uh, thinking, uh, steps through a number of components, including one of the things I think is most valuable about this, knowing what your early warning signs are. So almost like your pre-warning signs that you're not doing so well. So what are the things that you see before the symptoms that you see? Um, what are the things that you need to catch and notice that are at the beginning of that kind of downward fall? Uh, because sometimes when we think about those things that are warning signs, we're actually thinking too late in the picture about what we're observing and noticing there. We actually want to have some really good um, awareness of what the pre-warning signs or early warning signs are. And the wrap takes you through a whole lot of content around what you want to happen, what's helpful about how other people respond, what it is that you need, what it is that you don't want people to do, any advanced directives if you are someone who needs um, further kind of professional help and support so what do I want to happen from whom and, and um, making it known and having a written plan around how you maintain your wellness and how you respond when there are times of ill health. The other thing to consider is engagement in therapy and how that can be sustained um, or you know potentially changing that up and um, utilizing some of the different modalities of therapy that are out there sometimes people find themselves stuck in one mode of therapy like it's not uncommon for me to find people who you know have only ever seen a therapist who does cbt cognitive behavior therapy well actually how about act i know that this sounds like an explosion in an alphabet factory but 
ACT's acceptance commitment therapy, which has a real uh, value for people with chronic depression, or DBT, dialectic behavior therapy. There are lots of other modes of therapy. EDMR um, uh, is gaining popularity for people who have things like recurrent depression. So just consider mixing up what it is you get, what style and modality of therapy you've been engaged with. I often say to people when they're coming to see me for counseling, I change my hairdresser periodically, and that's okay, because every now and then I want to go to someone with some different skills who's going to see things in a different way and, um, and you know, respond to me differently. I do that with my hairdresser, with who I see for massages. I do that for all sorts of different things. Um, and actually, when it comes to working with mental health professionals, it can be really valuable to change up who you're seeing and the approach that they take makes a difference to what you gain out of that therapy. Slightly controversial, but something I'm often thinking when I'm working with someone with recurrent depression is, um, is this, now it sounds really cheesy, are they depressed or repressed? Are they depressed or repressed? And essentially, one of the things that I notice often for people that are constantly pulled down with depression is that there is some kind of repression going on in their world. A goal that they're held back from achieving, some part of themselves that they're not allowing to be expressed, something that is holding them back and literally keeping them down. And that is not necessarily an easy thing to work out, but it is something that experience has told me is sometimes a factor, that there can be something going on that's causing a repression in this person, that their response of feeling low and depressed is actually really val really valid um, in the context of what is going on. So thinking about that depressed, repressed question and potentially getting some therapeutic input and in exploring that. And then there are some bigger questions. What are you doing with your life? Are you living it to your own standards and values? Do you have something worth getting out of bed for? Um, are you happy? Like I know that that sounds like a really messed up question to be asking a person who is depressed. But what is it that you're unhappy about? Like sometimes we can get a little bit overcomplicated with these things. Actually, are there things that you need to change? Are there structural things, relationships, ways of living, expectations on yourself? Um, uh, do you need to retrain? Is there something missing in terms of, you know, having not found the things that bring you joy? Uh, I know all of that sounds incredibly cheesy to think about when someone is in a really low space, but what are they doing with their lives and are they happy are actually really valid questions. So I'm not too sure about the situation of the person who's asked this question. I want to send you lots of love if you are experiencing uh, recurrent depression. If there is a, a chronic experience here, I just really appreciate how difficult that is, having worked with lots of people in this situation before and want to send you lots of love, lots of aroha and really encourage you to reach out for the support that you need. Um, it's so tough having this struggle and then having it over and over again. But I often say to clients in this situation, there are answers and uh, we, we learn more every time you have a bout of this depression. We learn and we build the recipe for what makes you feel good. And each time there are new things that we can add in that, um, that help you to move forward hopefully without this or with less of this. I often think too with um, recurrent depression about the bounce factor you know it's um it's important that we develop the speed of the bounce that if someone goes down 
uh, that there is an ability for them to bounce faster. So it's not about the lows not happening, but the bounce speed back from those lows. So I really wish you all the very best if this is something that you're battling and I'm certainly happy to answer more specific questions, but hopefully there is something in that that's of value to you. Okay, now hold on to your seats because <laughs> we're about to try and at least attempt to tackle a really big question. This person has asked about how they deal with toxic masculinity as a female. Now, I don't promise to have all of the answers on this, but I can add some perspectives and some experiences and some stories that I hope will be of some help to you in how you think about responding to this. So firstly, I just want to talk about what this person might be meaning in the terms toxic masculinity, um, just in case that's kind of an unfamiliar phrase. But essentially, this is thinking about the expectations that are placed on men and boys um, to conform to kind of a, a narrow set of expected behaviours and characteristics. And they might be around um, sort of dominance or aggression, or suppressing emotions, devaluing anything that is um, seen or perceived in any way as female. So it kind of is, toxic masculinity is sort of about perpetuating the idea that men must be tough, they must be unemotional and in control at all times. And the, the concern with this is that it has really damaging consequences for men and for women and for society as a whole. So uh, I'm going to talk through some of my responses around this and some of the things that I think are helpful if you are facing responding to this in your own life in some way. The first thing that I want to add into the mix of your thinking is what does this trigger in you? You probably know, you probably have some clues about this, but I just want to make sure that one of the things that you keep in mind as a starting point is thinking about being really aware of what this triggers in you, because sometimes that is about what you're experiencing with this toxic masculinity, but it is also about what it is um, that is happening within you that might speak to some other issues and potentially is something that needs healing in you. Now what I am not saying there is that it's all up to you and you can just deal with the buttons and then people won't be able to push them. That's not what I'm saying. But what I really mean with that is if we're going to be grounded, if we're going to be able to emotionally regulate ourselves while we're challenging something, it's really important to specifically know what is it that this triggers in me. It might be feelings of feeling not good enough, might be feeling rejected or unheard, or what is it that makes this so hard? Is it feeling controlled? Is it feeling unsafe? So being aware of where your emotional triggers lie with this is really important. I think too, we need to consider that um, boys and men find themselves in this world at this particular time in our history as a society um, being shaped by expectations, constructs, that it is not necessarily their fault that they have stepped into particular ways of behaving or speaking. Now, that is not writing off their responsibility to conduct themselves well and to think critically about how they engage in the world around them. But that is to say that it's important we remember that our meaning is socially constructed. I sound like a real sociologist there. My PhD that I'm working on is in sociology, so you can probably hear that coming out in that answer. But 
um, just maintain that awareness that they are people who find themselves at a particular point in history where these are some of the issues that we face as a society. And that can be a good starting point for thinking compassionately about how we invite men and boys towards a different way of responding. Something that really helps me there is to think about how I would like to be approached if I did something that others found offensive in some way. So I love the concept about being mana enhancing. How do we address something with people in a way that can be firm, that can be courageous, that can hold our own boundaries, but which also has a gentle, invitational nature to it that um, doesn't leave them feeling they've been walked all over. So the way to answer this is not answering back with brute strength or um, rage or dominance or control or any of those things. And we have to be careful we don't get into that loop. Someone actually added a question when they saw that this question had been asked on social media. Someone added a question about how we can be invitational towards men um, and invite them onto the journey of actually engaging as good partners um, in the world with women around these kinds of issues. So I think that that is a really good starting point, thinking about how you as a human being would like to be approached if you did something that other people found offensive and how can I do this in a way that's mana enhancing and invitational for them. The other thing that I think is there's a couple of different um, levels to which you might respond um, and it depends on the person, how well you know them, um, the role and relationship that you have with them, uh, the extent to which you think you're going to be able to journey through this um, constructively with them. Uh, that's not to say it's not important to say your piece regardless of how that is received, uh, but also you need to um, be real about sort of evaluating those factors. So there are a couple of different things. At one end of the scale, we've got the pushback. So that is um, a something that we do that kind of really says there is a line here for me and you've crossed it or um, acknowledges that someone has said something that you have found offensive or inappropriate in some way. One thing that's really important about pushbacks is they're not burns. They're not designed to hurt the person or shame them or make them feel bad um, or shove them in a box. But it is really about um, electrifying the fence is how I think about it. That there's that little moment of going like, zap there's actually a boundary here for me and you crossed it if I can um give an example of that my little boy who's six was playing football um this year it was an incredibly inclusive environment um there was a transgender kid who was playing and uh there was a really kind of beautiful way that that was um that that individual was responded to and the way that the parents became careful about their gender language and all of those sorts of things I just thought were amazing and then one day we were walking away from football and this dad yells out to um, his kids or someone he knew or someone over the road really loudly, um, uh, girls suck, boys rule, yeah, and was a real kind of like yobbo about it. And I had, walking with me right there, my little girl and my little boy. And I thought, wow, I don't really want either of them to think that that is okay. So I just went, ouch, and left it there. I didn't need to go into a big conversation with him. I didn't want to say, dude, that's really not on. 
um, I just wanted to go, oh, that actually hurt and that was inappropriate and was that necessary and maybe can you think about for yourself the appropriateness of that? So it wasn't a context where I really wanted to get drawn into the conversation, but sometimes having our pushback and actually I find one of the most simple pushbacks is being able to say, ouch, like, whoa, ouch, that hurt. Um, wow, oh, that stung. Well, those kind of like, sort of verbalizing our reactions can be a really good pushback. You may actually want to have more developed lines that are pushbacks of, you know, I feel really uncomfortable about that. Um, I'm not sure that we should be saying things like that. Uh, I'm not sure how that makes everyone in this room feel. I wonder if we could be a bit more cautious with our language. So thinking about, you know, short pushback statements for where you want to deliver those. And then there is the case where you might want to engage more with someone about something that they've said or done or a pattern. Now, I'm a big fan of what I call the preamble. Here is how this goes. And this is honestly uh, something that I talk to people about all the time. When we're going to raise something with someone, you can either launch into the conversation or you can actually do some work to try and set that conversation up to be successful. Now, for me, what that looks like is this. I'm wondering if it's okay to raise something with you. So not even raising what it is, but asking their permission about, you know, is this a good time? Um, are you comfortable if we have a bit of a chat about something? Uh, kind of just checking, is this uh, something, are, are, you, are we able to have a bit of a deeper conversation? So I'm wondering if it's okay to raise something with you. Then I would say something like, here's how I'm feeling. So that might be, look, I feel a bit, um, you know, I don't know why, but vulnerable or embarrassed about raising this. I um, I feel really nervous actually in raising this with you. Uh, so acknowledging how it is that you're feeling. Uh, we're going to do even more work than that. We're still not going to launch into what it is we're talking about. Here's what I'm looking for from you. And here's what I would appreciate and not. So that might sound like, I am really just wanting to be heard out on this. Um, I don't really need any response from you. I certainly don't um, want to feel like I'm putting you in a position where you have to be defensive towards me, or you have to give me any explanation. But I'm wondering if I can just raise this with you, and if you want to pick the conversation up with me again at some point, you can come back to me on that. But what I'm wondering about, and I hope it's okay, is can I just put this out there to you and um, and we then kind of close the conversation and I leave it there. Or it might be that you guide them about, um, you know, I'm not wanting you to say these things or it would be really great if uh, you felt willing to apologize to me about that or whatever it is that you're looking for. So here's what it is that I'm looking for or hoping for out of this. Here's what I'd appreciate and not. So that is the preamble. Now, that is uh, hopefully going to drastically increase your likelihood of success in the conversation. If you uh, don't explain to people the emotion that's sitting behind the conversation that you're about to have, if you don't um, give them some guidance about what it is that you're looking for and not, uh, then it's kind of a guessing game for them. If you can set the conversation up, well, most people, most human beings, are actually really happy to give you what you're looking for. Um, in most cases, people like to feel successful in their interpersonal 
um, interactions. So if you can give some guidance about what it is that you're looking for, that's often something that people are super happy to go along with. So set up the preamble. Um, I want to talk here about how I've raised some things in conversations when things have been difficult, when I've experienced something of toxic masculinity, just so you can kind of hear how this sounds for a real person. Um, also recognizing, like, I don't think that these responses are perfect, but I also want to recognize here that, you know, I spend a lot of time <laughs> hanging out with people thinking about problem solving. So, uh, and, you know, have developed to a point, point of real um, sort of comfort in speaking up on things and using my own voice. So this is probably a relatively developed skill, although not perfect. So in a couple of work situations recently where something where I've seen a toxic masculinity moment or something that I haven't particularly appreciated, I have done a little bit of a preamble and said something like, I'm wondering if it's okay if I debrief with you how that conversation landed for me or how that experience felt for me. So actually uh, really kind of setting up, is this okay for me to talk to you about what my experience was there and slowing it down rather than labeling things or that just wasn't okay or that was really toxic or um, that just sounded super macho or that was, you know, really controlling of me or try not to label behaviors but talk about our own experiences is really powerful. So here's how that landed for me was how I addressed a recent situation. The other thing I have said is, uh, can I offer you my reflections on that um, and tell you, you know, something about how, um, how this felt for me from my position? So sometimes that can be about, you know, how power is held between people, can have a gender um, kind of... Uh, constructed moment in the midst of that but sometimes just more generally talking about the power differentials is really important hey when I came away from that conversation yesterday something felt really uncomfortable for me and I've spent some time thinking about it I'm wondering if you're willing to listen to my reflections so asking permission um, you know, setting the tone of I'm wanting to be listened to here, avoiding labeling, keeping about our keeping it about our experiences. I've had a situation recently where someone in a work setting um, really tried to rescue a situation and tried to get it dealt with through what I would call a the boys club. And I said, oh, I'm just wondering if it's okay for us to pause on that plan. Because what I'm aware of in that is that that's quite disempowering for me. And that feels like you as a man are able to ride in on a white horse and save me from something. Yeah, I totally trust that you'll get that sorted. And I trust that your heart in this is to try and sort out this situation. But the way, in that, the way that that plays out really is quite disempowering for me as a female and I know that that's not what you want me to feel so I'm just wondering if you're happy for me to have a bit more of a say and what the options might be around how we deal with it in a different way that guy <laughs> was 10 out of 10 amazing when I talked that through with him he was so grateful that I raised it was fully like I just would not have had any idea 
that that could have been your experience and actually then came back to me after the conversation and said I'm so grateful that you talked about that because that has allowed me to reflect on I actually do that all the time thanks for um he said pulling me up on it I'm not sure I wanted to him to feel like I'd pulled him up on doing something wrong but he actually you know responded to this in a really valuable way so when you are approaching those conversations, think about what is it that I most want to communicate here and what change is it that I want to see? So sometimes we can use a lot of words, but we need to think about the, the kind of critical things. What do I most want to communicate with this person? And what is it that I would like to see change here in our relationship or in how they think about something um, or in their awareness of an issue, whatever that looks like. But try and instead of, you know, um, succumbing to using lots and lots and lots of words and going on and on and on and on about things, think about in crystallized terms, what is it that I most want to communicate here? What is the change that I'm wanting to see? Really important if you're addressing anything that you think about being calm when you're bringing that up. Um, there is nothing wrong with taking some time and space to think about how you want to respond to something that can be a really good time to use a quick pushback and then to go, hey, you know, that other day when I kind of, you know, grimaced about that thing, I'm wondering if we can pick up that conversation. So trying to be really calm before you raise something, focusing on what it is that you're feeling. And then the other thing that I really want to say is remember that it's okay to leave environments or relationships that continue to feel unsafe for you. It is totally okay to put your own emotional needs first, to walk away from those conversations or those people or those places or groups or whatever that looks like. You are not responsible for reforming the whole entire world. We all have different capacities and resources at different points in time in our lives. Sometimes we can deal with things. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes that feels too vulnerable. Sometimes we feel really strong. Uh, but think about actually, you know, at the end of the day, this is not all on you and you can take opportunities to remember um that it's okay to leave an environment if it continues to feel unsafe and toxic to you. So there are some thoughts on those questions around what to do in responding to toxic masculinity and how we invite people into those stories. Um, I hope that there is something of value in there and just really want to see and acknowledge uh, the person who's raised this question, the person who then built on this question too. Uh, I know how hard this is. I know what courage it takes to address these kinds of issues and actually you can get better with practice and this can become something that you feel really neutral about raising, really calm and confident in yourself about raising those um, times when a boundary has been crossed for you on this and uh, that happens with practice and you can flex those muscles build those muscles, um, strengthen them so that you are able to respond in calm and constructive ways. And then don't forget, after all that's over, to have your people, your people that you feel ultra safe with, your people that you feel uh, share the values and principles that you think are important in life and that you can hang out with them most of the time and surround yourself with their positive, uh, constructive, healthy perspectives. Make sure that you're topped up with that when you have experienced something that you have found uh, toxic from uh, the way that another person has responded to you. So I hope there is 
uh, something of value in that, mm, just looked at the time, quite big rent. Uh, think about being mana enhancing, what's triggering for you, how you'd like to be approached if you did something that others were offended by. Have your pushbacks. Um, talk about the preamble, so how you kind of step through and set things up. Um, what you want to communicate, what change you want to see, uh, calming down before ad addressing things and remembering that it's okay to leave if you are continuing to feel unsafe. I hope that that helps. Thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love to connect, so feel free to find me on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe so you can see when the next podcast episode is out. See you next time.